and welcome back to another par train. Sir, we had uh, your boy, Mr. Jason Sobel, come on. Third timer, our first third timer. He, he joined us to talk through a little Q1 review. Looking back at the season so far, we said it was going to be the greatest season in the PGA Tour history. He talks about what needs to happen the rest of the season to make 2018 the best season ever. And then Serm, uh, he made a couple hot takes. He said uh, he's basically smarter than Roy McIlroy. And you guys got into it about the players <laughs> being the fifth major. We did. We did get into it. Hey, it's nice to have a guy on for the third time. We, I mean, some people think he's getting free drinks on the beverage in the beverage car from now on. But uh, we did get into it a little bit. I think I threw some stats at him that kind of shook him a little bit. So it's a, it's a, it's a hot episode. Yeah, if you want to talk about triggered, Serm got triggered. I had to kind of separate. I had to get in the middle and separate them a bit. So definitely tune into that. And then we also talk through the Players' Championship. He'll be there all week. We do a bit of a preview, picks, rest-of-season predictions, and even talk walk-up music. So this is a must-listen. He's a a fan of the walk-up music, we think. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what he says. I think there was a lot of things that we could do better, and, uh, and we talk through that. Absolutely. Here we go. All right. All right, and we are back for another par train. We have Mr. Jason Sobel. Jason, you are our first third-timer on the train. I mean, at this point, we might as well just make you a permanent fixture on the train. What do you think? You know, on Saturday Night Live, they have what's called, I think it's like the five-timers club, and oh. uh, Steve Martin has gone on there, and like he, he wears like a smoking jacket, and they, they show that there's a club. I mean, obviously, it's all sort of... Uh, satire and, and just having fun with it. But uh, I, I think I should get something for that. I think I should be uh, have club access and, and I should get a, a jacket that I wear for being a three-timer. Maybe a train jacket. Okay. I mean, your your son has the, has the hat, the train hat. So he we might need to hat. get you one match. The hat is awesome. Maybe free drinks in the beverage car, you know, something. That's possible. Yeah, I, I'm all for free drinks. I mean, any, anytime you want to give up free <laughs> drinks, I think that's a pretty good prize for anything, really. Maybe a sippy all cup. Right. He's got it. Love the sippy cup. We, uh, yeah, the sippy cup's been going strong at our at our club. And you know, as if people haven't listened to this pod in the past, where, where I've been on, we've talked about the sippy cup. It's uh, the official drink of West Orange Country Club, where Evan, you've come and played before, and uh, it's uh, it is as good as advertised. That's all I can say. You, it's a, you just it's a have beautiful to come place. show up and have a sippy cup. It's a beautiful place. I actually it wish we were beautiful. back in that locker room doing this interview. It was quite the scene. But before. Before we go into a quick look back and then talk to players, I wanted to ask you, you've moved to a new company, the Action Network, mm-hmm. okay? And before I ask you why you made the move and what it's like so far, I need to ask you what you're doing to prevent the classic lull after changing golf companies, okay? Rory had it. Tigers had it. A lot of guys have had it. When you get used to a new sponsorship, you hit a little bit of a lull. What are you doing to prevent that? Uh, well, players always talk about it. it's not necessarily the clubs, but it's the different ball that they use. Um, so I was very cognizant of that. So uh, I'm using a different laptop, but I, I'm very comfortable <laughs> with my equipment right now. Um, it, it's really working for me. Um, I, I have the utmost um, confidence in everyone that's put everything together for me. I've got a new company phone that's been working very well for me so far. So uh, I think I'm able to uh, avoid that little lull that others have gone through. I, I don't want to say I'm smarter than a guy like Rory McIlroy, but yeah, maybe I am. You know, I, wow. I think I've gone about it the right way, and I've really looked at everything. Um, you know, and I, I've got my equipment really dialed in right now. Why make the move away from the worldwide leader? Uh, there, Tell us about it. Uh, I'll, 
uh, yeah, to get a little serious now. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, look, it was an opportunity. I, I see a huge growth potential in, um, in content to make you smarter. And yes, a lot of our, our content is geared towards people who are gambling, people who are playing fantasy. And I think that that's probably 90 to 95% of the people who are looking at our content right now. But the way I always put it is I don't care whether you're putting, uh, you know, thousands of dollars on this week's tournament or nothing and just want to watch the event and become smarter about what you're watching. I think our content across the board and, uh, certainly not just golf, but uh, I read all of our content from you know the NBA playoffs and, and Major League Baseball, and it, even coming off the NFL draft. It, and I, I read all this stuff, and it, it is content to make you smarter about what you're watching. And uh, as far as leaving my last place, I I just found that look, first of all, it was a way to do something different. You, you get into these walls, you get into um, sort of a place where I, I've been doing the same thing for so many years, and quite honestly. I didn't care about the brand name next to my name anymore. I didn't care about, Hey, there's an opportunity to be on TV once every couple of weeks. That just doesn't do much for me anymore. I wanted to do something interesting. I wanted to have fun with it. There's a, a little bit more of a work life balance that's going on here. Now I went to Charlotte last week for quail hollow and stayed for the first three days and left actually before the tournament started, I left Thursday morning and, I'm going to be able to do that a little bit more now where uh, it's more uh, preview-related content. It's more predicting. Uh, that's not to say that I'll do that every single time. I'm going to the Players' Championship this week, and I'll be there throughout the entire weekend. So uh, there, there's just a little bit more um, malleability, I think, in, in the role itself, and uh, and that really appealed to me. Guys, look yeah, out. No. Sobel <laughs> is refreshed, and he's invigorated. Okay. <laughs> But Jason, you're clearly doing some some great things right now out on the golf course. Per a recent tweet, uh, you, you fired a 74 at, at West Orange with seven birdies. Was I reading that correctly? You want to talk about this moment in time? Uh, are you asking me to go through birdies and bogeys after the round? Because I've always been uh, <laughs> w- wanting to to get that question. Yeah, that, it was. And, and I would love to hear, he, uh, you know, because Evan's Four. been out there too. So go ahead. <laughs> I don't make seven birdies in a month, and I play a lot of golf. For me to make seven birdies in one round was astounding. I actually put that tweet out there. And I had a lot of people who said, <laughs> man, you shot 74 with seven birdies. What the hell happened to you? Because uh, it should have been a 68. It, yeah, right. it probably should have been. I made three doubles, and uh, I, I kind of blew up on a few holes. But I almost didn't care. I mean, we play a team game out there on Friday afternoons. Everyone throwing 30 bucks, playing foursomes, and take one gross and one net score on every single hole. And we actually – uh, with me playing that well, and I had a couple of good partners, we actually didn't even take down all the money on Friday. So uh, I don't know what they were doing out there. I guess it was just an easy day. But, it, yeah, I don't make birdies like that. And so um, I have uh, made sure to uh, brag to all of my uh, ESPN colleagues, meaning Bob Harrod and Michael Collins, and every time I, I'm playing golf and playing well, I make sure they know all about it. And I said, you know, hope you guys are enjoying Charlotte and, and covering a golf tournament. I went back home and I'm, I'm making seven birdies. So, yeah, no, life sounds much better over there. I'm sure you guys are having a blast. I can't believe I missed this tweet because from when we played together, that must have been a five-wood clinic. I would have tweeted you back like a five-wood <laughs> trophy or something. No, I'm banging the driver out there now. Oh. Um, so, okay. yeah, it was uh, 
and, and I, I made I, probably the seven birdies, I think I made probably five 15-footers. Um, so, obviously, it, it could have been uh, a, a 70 with one birdie very easily, or excuse me, an 80 with one birdie very easily. So, I know you always look at those rounds and say, man, I went low, but I could have gone so much lower. I had three doubles. I also easily could have shot 80 and had one birdie and lipped out six birdie putts. So uh, I, I'm not too uh, upset about anything I did out there. Love it. It is my best round ever out there. I don't want to harp on myself. So don't don't make it sound like I'm a good golfer. I don't want anyone to hear like, hey, you're not working hard enough. You're obviously playing too much golf. Right. You must be a good Definitely player. Definitely not. I'm not a good player. Uh, Evan's seen me play. He's much better than I am. Uh, I got lucky on one day. I was nice and and loose and relaxed on a Friday playing with a few buddies and, and it'll never happen again. And I'm okay with that. PJ tour is a big business. Okay. And when you got a big business, you got to look back and do those Q1 reviews. So let's, let's look back. And at the beginning of the season, I said, and we all agreed that this could be the best season. And we thought it would be the best season in PJ tour history. So we want to see how we're doing so far. I don't think we're there yet, but let's do a quick recap for everyone out there that maybe, Hasn't been watching all season. So this year, 2018, is the year of backs. Okay? Tiger's back. Tiger's back is back. Um, it started with Tiger's back. And then DJ's, quote, best ever shot. Kazire won twice. Rombo was back. Jason Day's back. Bubba was back. JT won again. Phil was back. Tiger was really back. Sorry, Paul Casey. Rory's back. Bubba was really back. Poulter's back. Reed arrived. Uh, three weeks of snooze. And then Jason Day is really back. <laughs> So it's, in my opinion, hard to achieve the best season in PGA Tour history with a Reed Masters victory, but it's still possible. Mm. Wow. Uh, he's got six top tens so far. How, give me your thoughts so far on the season and how we're tracking to that claim. Uh, I hear you talk about all these guys being, quote, unquote, back. And, and what it tells me is that this is the cyclical nature of golf. What we're seeing is a lot of, uh, really good players winning really good golf tournaments. And, and I don't know that it's necessarily their back. I, I think it's more a fact that, look, this is cyclical in nature. I mean, I, I was, uh, as I told you guys before we started taping the pod, uh, I was working on my Players' Championship preview for this week, and uh, I'm writing a little piece on Dustin Johnson and uh, the fact that four other challengers to, to the number one ranking can actually pass him this week and become number one. And, and I think that we tend to collectively forget a little bit about DJ. We tend to take him for granted. We tend to not really want him, you know, as a society, as a golfing public, not really want him to be number one in the world because he's not tiger. He's not uh, sort of as eloquent off the course as elegant on the course. Uh, he is not a guy who contends every single week. And that's what we want out of our number one players. Well, guess what? That's not anybody. It doesn't happen in golf anymore. Uh, you know, we got spoiled in those Tiger prime years where either won or he finished in fourth place, and he certainly made the cut every single week. That that, that doesn't happen. That's not what, what the game's about. And uh, I think that when you go over that winner's list, when excuse me, you go over sort of everything that's happened this year, uh, I think we start to understand it's not just guys – being back, it's not like they, a lot of these guys went anywhere. Yes, Tiger being back is obviously a huge story, and, and he is indeed uh, getting back to where it needs to be. But uh, I think as far as the rest of these guys who, who have won and who have played well, 
it's just the cyclical nature of the game. And it's just, hey, you're you're not going to play very well for a few months, and all of a sudden, one week, you're going to put it all together, and you're going to look like Rory did at Bayhill, or you're going to look like Jason Day did at Quail Hollow this past week. And uh, and that's okay. And as long as you can do that a few times a year, you can be a superstar in this game. Uh, you know, Jason Duffner, back when he used to speak with the media fairly often and uh, casually have conversations with us, used to uh, remind us about the old adage of, uh, you can win 2% of the time as a professional golfer and become a Hall of Famer that way. And uh, the numbers might be a little off there, but for the most part, he's right about that. Um, you don't have to win 20% of the time, and uh, nobody is doing that out here right now, and uh, for good reason, because fields are so deep, because it's so tough, and, and because of the cyclical nature of the game. You would know better than anybody. The news cycle is so out of control. If, if, if a guy has two or three bad weeks, we sometimes start forgetting about him, right? You know, I mean, and Rory's a prime example of that. I think everyone was doubting Rory's game. And then, like you said, it comes out to Bay Hill and wins. This guy's won four majors. It's, it's, it's wild. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, you're right, man. That, that's kind of what I was writing about Dustin Johnson, too, is that uh, Dustin finished in 10th at the Masters. Wasn't completely in contention, but wasn't exactly out of it either. Uh, played the next week at Hilton Head and finished in 16th place. Hasn't played in three weeks. I tweeted about these featured groups. Uh, the Players' Championship this week, we've got Tiger, Phil, Ricky, I believe, and then yep. uh, Jordan, JT, and Rory. And I had all these people saying, is DJ even playing? Like, what's going on with him? <laughs> is he still, like, uh, alive? Is he still playing golf? It's been three weeks since he's played. I mean, it's right. not that long, but this this, this sort of uh, need-it-now society does it contrast everything that golf is about. I mean, golf has never been a, okay, you won this week, you're the best, and you came in second, you're second best, and you, we haven't seen you in a few weeks, so uh, you're now uh, far from our mind, and so you're not good anymore. And, and that's not how golf works. I mean, for all we know, and, and basically what I'm writing now is, uh, DJ is going to come to the Players' Championship uh, refreshed and relaxed and ready to go out there and win a golf tournament, and I, I certainly think he can do it. I mean, this is, I, I think, the hardest golf tournament of the year to predict because of the uh, the winner's list that just shows guys from sort of all walks of life, all types of different players. But uh, I think DJ's ready to go out there and win and remind everyone just why he's ascended to number one in the world. Jason, you mentioned featured pairings, and I thought it'd be interesting for the listeners to, to – see behind the curtain i don't know how much context you have is it like an nfl draft room where you got this big board and the tournament director and the committees <laughs> are just making the pairings or like can you give some uh some context into that process i i think you're completely over reading it i, I think there are uh, a few people in the Pontevedra beach offices who every week kind of have a good handle on uh first of all who's played together already so look you can't put tiger phil and ricky together for three weeks in a row and have them playing in the first two rounds every single time. So uh, I think you have to plan these things out a little bit. Obviously this being the players championship, they're going to go all out. And this is uh, basically the six biggest stars they can find at least personality wise and uh, guys that appeal to the public. And it's interesting that Dustin Johnson uh, isn't one of these six that they put in these featured groups, but they're going to save their best for their biggest golf tournament of the year. Uh, other than that, I, I, you can almost predict these things. I mean, you, you've got guys, uh, look, Tiger and Phil are, 
almost always separated in those two windows. They'll separate uh, guys like Spieth and Ricky. You want to have uh, at least uh, for their PGA Tour live window, uh, you know, some appealing names in the Thursday morning and then some appealing names in Friday morning. So you try to split them up a little bit. You'll throw a defending champion in there uh, amongst a couple of superstars where um, maybe they're kind of a, a little bit of a fish out of water, but at least they get a taste of uh, being up against the boys. So uh, these things are actually fairly predictable. Um, and, and if you look at them on a week-by-week basis, you can you can almost get a sense. I mean, it, it would be a fun little game to play on a Monday before they usually come out with them and say, hey, who do you think the featured pairings are going to be? I, I bet you could get them. Oh, at least uh, more than half the time. Yeah, I want to go back one second. I know we mentioned Reed um, when going through the season so far. And because we haven't talked since January with you being in, in golf journalism, I want to get your take. So when the Reed family story came out, to me, it's got to be a tough balance, right? Your job's to tell stories. But if I was Shipnuck or you and I was sitting in, in the presser, and the only time I got to ask him about this was, you know, his post-win press conference after the biggest win of his life, and I have to ask him about his family, that'd be tough, right? So how do you, can you speak on maybe how tough that would be to write and that challenge you have as a, as a journalist? It, it is extremely difficult. I mean, I, I can tell you, I'm not sure about Shipnuff, but I know he asked the question in Patrick Reed's press conference about his family being just a few miles away and not being allowed to go to the golf course to go watch him and what he was thinking. Patrick completely just dismissed the question and didn't answer it at all. I know Ian O'Connor from ESPN has been working on a piece with uh, Reed's parents for three or four years now and finally got the opportunity to uh, have a reason to write it uh, that day. And, And so he wrote it. I, first of all, don't have any problem with a journalist trying to tell the story of uh, Patrick Reed and his family. I mean, that is, if you're watching on TV, that's the one story I want to read. That, that's the right. one story I want to know. Here's, here's a master's champion with his parents and, and sister, just a, a few miles away. And they're not there watching him play. What's the story. And even if you can uncover 30% of the story, tell me what the story that you can uncover. And of course, as we mentioned, they, they gave Patrick the opportunity to tell his side of the story. And I do think there's more to, his side of the story than a lot of the public knows. But uh, if he doesn't want to tell us that, that's on him. And so it's going to sound a little one-sided. I think that's the the problem that most people had with these stories were that they were mostly from the family's perspective and not from Patrick's perspective. Well, that's because he hasn't wanted to share any information. He hasn't wanted to tell his side of the story, which is certainly his prerogative. But look, this is how it's going to look. And, And I wish that uh, someone, some representative uh, of Reed's, a friend of his, a manager, and, and he's burned through him over the, the last few years. He's gone through uh, a handful of different managers and agents, and uh, I wish one of them had convinced him to say, look, you're going to win a Masters someday, and, and this is going to happen, and we need to get in right. front of it, and you need to address this at some point so that when you're not sitting there wearing a green jacket, you get asked questions about your family, and you don't know what to say. You need to do it at some point, whether it was when you went on Saturday and talked to him in a very controlled environment, whether it was uh, one-on-one with a Tom Rinaldi type and you did something for ESPN, let's go do it. Let's get it out of the way. And then all future questions, you can just reference 
what you talked about in the past because uh, you had already been there and done that, and then they can use that interview instead of you trying to sit there five minutes after making a putt to win the Masters and, and try and answer these questions. But uh, for whatever reason, he didn't want to or just didn't feel like he needed to get ahead of this story. And so what we wind up reading are stories that are 98% from the family's perspective and only 2% from Patrick's perspective. And, uh, and so he's not necessarily sharing his side, but as long as the journalist gave him the option to tell his side of the story, I have no problem with anything that was written about him after the Masters. Yeah, he's hard to like. I would ask them about his cheating in college and stealing money. <laughs> I mean, that's juicy stuff too. I mean, that all the all all that being written. Um, and but, and uh, he's been he's been asked about that, and he's basically yeah, given the same he, answer, which is he doubles I'm down just out here trying to win golf tournaments. I mean, he, he right. just he, he just won't talk. I mean, he just won't even go there. You know, right. he just says, "Well, I'm just trying to win. I'm just out here. Right. I'm just one guy." I'm just, he'll just throw some cliches out in so. So, so at some point you're just not going to ask the question. I, it reminds me sort of after Tiger's scandal, and you know, I would I would write the Tiger shot uh, third round seventy one, and people on Twitter would say, "Why didn't you ask him about the scandal? Why didn't you ask him about right. what he did to his family?" First of all, uh, that's very uncomfortable in a uh, scenario where uh, thirty reporters are standing right off the eighteenth green asking guy questions, and you just kind of yelled out, you know. Uh, and you're not, you're not going to get any, life. you're not going to get anything either. And secondly, he's not going to answer that, Exactly. And that's the bigger point is that you yeah. have to understand when you're going to get an answer and when you're not going to get an answer. I have no problem with Patrick Reed being asked that question in a, in a press conference setting, but uh, I'm also not surprised that he didn't answer it at all either because uh, he's been given that platform over the years and uh, he has never chosen to, uh, to take that position, never chosen to, get out in front of it. And, and, and this is what happens. And, and I hope that at some point, Patrick Reed looks at some of these stories and understands that, look, I, I sort of did this to myself a little bit and he could have bought himself a, you know, who knows what the real story is and, and why he's estranged from his parents. But at some point he could have at least spun it in his direction a little bit so that when Patrick Reed won the masters, instead of a lot of people saying, Oh, he's a terrible person. He didn't invite his parents to come watch him win the masters. Instead of that, they might say, boy, I, I feel real happy for him because he's, he's overcome something in his life. He's accomplished something without the help of his parents, uh, and, and that means a lot. And, and I don't think that was a prevailing sentiment if, just because he didn't want to tell his story. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of stories, uh, Jason, you know, as we're kind of looking so far, looking back at the season, do you have a biggest surprise so far this season? I think about that one. Uh well, I almost need a multiple choice thing here. I, you know, Pat and Desire uh, has two wins already this season. He hasn't played great since then, but uh, for him to be a just a multiple PGA Tour winner in a, in a single season, I think is pretty impressive. On on the other side of things, uh, I thought Hideki Matsuyama was a guy that was going to contend sure. to the number one ranking. I still think he will at some point. I, I don't think that uh, what he's done over the first four months of the season is. Uh, what he's going to be at the end of the season. I, I think at some point he'll turn it on. And uh, like I said earlier, uh, it's a cyclical game. And uh, right now he's sort of on the down part of that cycle, but uh, he's going to move back up. So, so I think that Hideki will play some better golf at some point, And that's probably been uh, about as big a uh, disappointment as we've seen, uh, you know, off the top of my head. From, 
a journalistic perspective, can you grade the season so far? Kind of from an excitement level, quality of tournament finishes. Can can you give it a letter grade? <laughs> I I give it at least a solid B plus, maybe an A minus if we're grading on a curve. Uh, okay. uh, certainly better. I mean, you look at the winners list and. Other than, uh, you know, an Andrew Landry in there every once in a while or Satoshi Kadara, who, who aren't necessarily big names. I mean, certainly deserving champions. Anytime you uh, wind up uh, shooting the best score over four rounds, uh, you deserve to be the champion, but uh, not necessarily household names. Uh, other than that, it's been very good season uh, for storylines. It's been a very good season for uh, big name winners. So, yeah, no, I think it's been very good so far to get to an A or an A plus even maybe do we need a Phil Tiger you know major showdown or do we need Bernhard Longer to win a major on the PGA oh, Tour no. he, he's a big Bernhard Longer guy he won't I mean, he's got 37, the guy's on fire well, what do you think what yeah, gets us uh, over it's probably Phil Tiger right it, it, it's at least a tie I think it's probably Tiger himself I, I think you either get a a Tiger comes back to win scenario or at least Tiger uh, heavily contends in a major championship or you get some sort of scenario that doesn't even involve them, but uh, you get Jordan Spieth being Rory, Rory McIlroy in a major. You get uh, maybe Rory beating GT, you know, some sort of combination of those uh, those guys playing against each other. I think it has to happen in a major too. I, I think that uh, whenever we rank seasons, I mean, if we go back in and look at seasons from the past. If you go back to 1986 and say, hey, was that a good golf year? The first thing you think isn't, well, who won the Quad Cities Classic that year? It's who won the Masters? Well, Jack won the Masters. Yeah, okay. Right off the bat, I don't care what else happened in 1986. A 48-year-old or 46-year-old Jack Nicklaus won the Masters that year, and so that made it a really good golf year. You can't get less than a B-plus when Jack Nicklaus wins his sixth green jacket. So, uh, right off the bat, that's a good one. So I, I think uh, the same thing applies this year. I think we're in a bubble right now looking at it from perspective of what's going on right now. I think history will will show us that uh, 20 years from now, we'll look back on the major champions and sort of grade the season and evaluate it, uh, starting with uh, who the major champions were and how the major championships played out. And quite frankly, we don't know. Patrick Reed, 20 years from now, could have 10 major championships and we say boy that was the start of the Patrick Reed era, era that Masters and uh we look back on it more fondly than if he never wins another one he was just sort of a good player after win a Masters one year oh Jason Absolutely. bite your tongue <laughs> <laughs> you guys are looking forward to the Patrick Reed era huh? that's that's too much that's too much okay before we go into the players uh we got to get your take on walk-up music I'm gonna let you go first on how you think it went any rumblings you've heard in the media? Uh, I know the Zurich says they're already thinking of new things to do next year. It'll be interesting to see if other tournaments do things. But I want to get your take first, and then I've got a couple. I thought I, I thought it was an A plus in uh, evolution of, of strategy, probably, and maybe a little bit of a C minus in execution. I was mm-hmm. always wondering how they were going to pull that off and how it was going to look on TV. Because quite frankly. Uh, it doesn't matter how it looks in person. Uh, you know, the, the percentage of people watching at the first tee of the Zora Classic and people watching at home is 0. 0.001 uh, to the 99.999. So uh, it, it's going to be a, a TV spectator event, and, and that's 
that's a hard one to pull off. I, I think that, you know, they, they need to kind of work on how they do it, but uh, the idea itself, I, I thought was brilliant. I think you're going to see it at more events. I think you're going to see it in LPGA events. I think you're going to see it uh, more often in golf. In fact, the golf sixes this past week was, uh, I had no idea what was going on. It was like a golf circus. I, I, I couldn't understand the score. I couldn't understand what was going on. There were teams and, and, and guys seemed like they were enjoying themselves. There are a lot of kids out there uh, having fun. So uh, I'm all in favor of those things. I just didn't know, like, how you, you know, uh, do you all go play golf for four days and then just kind of pick a winner out of a hat? I, I, I couldn't understand how it was scored at all. Uh, I, I'll admit that I didn't watch a whole lot of it, but it seemed like it was a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm in favor of a lot of fun in golf. So, um, and I think uh, to get to the point, walk-up music is fun. It shows a different side of these guys, even personality, and I'm all in favor of anything that does that. All right, I'm going to give you my quick take. Okay, I agree. I think it's all yeah. about the execution. Number one, my first gripe with it is the players need to understand that you pick songs that jack you up and make you want to go to battle. I think the the players tried to get too cutesy with it, like uh, Randolph and – Molinox had just the two of us. Bubba Cooch had Saints go marching in to appease to the crowd. Uh, Jason Day and had Down Under as a song. It, it, it felt a little forced. So just go with a badass song like any baseball or basketball game you watch that gets you pumped up to tee off. And secondly, it was weird. You're right. Awkward was the best word to describe it because they went with the player name introductions with no music. You, you play the music for 10 seconds and then like a silent tee ball. It was very odd. So, like, I right. think it should be right. announcing the name as the music goes up, and then boom, they hit it. But yeah, I'm sure they're going to improve it in the future. But um, yeah, it felt a bit forced. But I love, I love the trajectory yeah. of it. And th- those are all things they'll figure out. I, I mean, the, this being the first year, you would think they, uh, I don't know, look at uh, how baseball does it. Look at how you know boxing does it with guys coming into the ring and. And they'll figure out sort of the timing a little bit better. So, yeah, it, it was a little bit awkward, but still I applaud the effort. I applaud the idea. And I would not be surprised to see other uh, tournaments. They always have at the end of the year, PGA Tour gets all the tournament directors and sponsors and everybody uh, at a big meeting together to give out awards for sort of uh, different levels of innovation. And, you know, one of them will be the most innovative idea, and I would be surprised if – the Zurich Classic doesn't win for the walk-up music. I would also be surprised if next year five other tournaments aren't also doing walk-up music. So uh, when you get to the Travelers Championship and uh, you fill out your registration to be there and you're, you're checking in as a player, they say, what's your walk-up music this week? And it almost becomes second nature for a guy to have some a couple of songs in mind that he's going to play on the first tee and, uh, and the fans are going to enjoy it out there. So I, I think that the execution will get better the more they do this. And I, I think the more they do this, uh, it's going to be sooner rather than later. And like I said, LPGA and European tour and everybody else are going to follow suit because it, it is a pretty cool idea. Yeah, definitely. I, I think Shooter McGavin said, damn you people, this is golf. So hopefully it doesn't get completely out of control. <laughs> All right. Players championship preview. Um, Jason, this is known as the fifth major. I, Evan and I are kind of a disagree about, I don't know if we disagree about the importance of this tournament, but I really believe that a player's champ, if you win the player's championship, you've kind of separated yourself in history. Um, you, it is such a key thing to have on your resume and you're just complete. You're looked at completely different. And, you know, 
it's pretty common that guys who win this tournament win majors. Um, Ev doesn't think so, so much. And we kind of want to get your opinion um, about this whole fifth major atmosphere tournament um, and how it kind of can etch your name in history. Now I'm going to answer your question with two questions of my own. The first is, how many majors does Jack Nicholas own? He's got 18. How many players' championships does Jack Nicholas own? Three. Okay, you got it quick, wow. and that was good. You had to think about it just for a second. <laughs> I think that most people he's got have, the most. He's got the most ever. Guys. He's got exactly. the, he's got the he, most he ever. Quicker than most, and I give you credit for that. But there's a lot of people I would have asked that question to. How many majors does Jack own? 18. Yeah, no problem. That's an easy one. That's like, you know, like first-level trivia you, question at the bar. But, but players' championship, everyone goes, well, like two, three, four? I, you know, I know he was good there. Um, and, and all of a sudden, that to me, if you don't know right off the bat, if you can't reel off the guys who have won it against the guys who haven't, it's, it's not a major. And this whole fifth major thing, uh, I've never bought into it. There are four majors. Uh, uh, you can't be uh, the fifth out of four of something. Uh, you know, there are, there are four seasons in the, in the calendar. If you're the fifth season, it means you're not really a season. It just means uh, well, sure. uh, you're, you're the climate that day. I, it, it's just, it, it's fine. Is it the biggest non-major, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. You can make a case now for sort of the FedEx Cup playoffs as a whole. You can make a case for... Uh, the BMW PGA Championship on the European Tour, which is their flagship event. But, uh, no, I would put the Players' Championship up there as sort of the fifth biggest tournament of the year. Uh, you know, the fact that, um, look, uh, a lot of people, I, look, people in golf understand what it is. They understand how big it is. I, I think that uh, you look at the casual fan who understands what the Masters is and the U.S. Open and the British PGA, they call it the TBC. They call it. Uh, the People's Championship. I, like people don't even know what the name of it necessarily is. Um, everybody knows I, the island. I, I think that everyone knows that. Oh yeah, that's the one where they they have to hit over the water on that one hole. That, that's about it. Uh, I don't know that your casual golf fan necessarily knows much about the Players Championship, much more than a a regular season event that uh, you know, like a Quail Hollow or like uh, uh, so many others. So I. I don't know. I, I just don't put it up there on that pedestal. I, I very rarely, other than this week, ever hear a player talking about the Players' Championship. Um, you know, Rory doesn't win at Bay Hill and say, boy, this really puts me in good position for the Masters and the Players. He just says the Masters. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's not like, yeah, Jason Day, okay, he won at Quail. And so, you know, he gets asked about the Players and says, oh, yeah, you know, this puts me in good position. I'm feeling really good going into it. But it's not like he wins – at quail and instantly is deemed the favorite for the players. It's not as if everything is about the players championship. It's, it's a good tournament. It's not a major championship. And Ev, I know you want to jump in here, but I guess my thing is if a player's champion, a player's champion is, is just remembered in history in a different way. Remember Craig perks for winning it in Oh three. I just think it has that separation factor than the rest of the non-majors. Yes. A little bit. And I just don't, I just don't think it has the same factor as winning a major. The same terms I think of Sean McKeel or Rich Beam, if that is a, an accurate sure. comparison. No, sure. It's just I think there's a memorability. Ev, jump in. Yeah, I was just going to say I my point to, to Matt off air was I don't think of Ricky Fowler any different. 
the the thing that sets him over the edge and gets him his a few majors and he'll, he'll go on a run. But when I think about him, I don't really think about him differently. Jason, as you were talking, I honestly probably rank a tour championship higher than than a players, and I probably can recall more tour champions than players oh, yeah. champions in succession um, when you go back in history. So yeah, to me. The whole fifth major thing, you got to remember, this is the PGA Tours tournament. So there's a lot of marketing that goes up behind this yeah. fifth major talk. And, you know, it's I think it's the biggest purse, it's the best field, the stadium course, like all that. I get it. That talks about it. But when it comes to, like, I think about a player differently, I think about Patrick Reed differently now. I don't think about Ricky Fowler mm-hmm. differently because he has players. That was just my well, point. I- yeah, I think there's a level though. I think about Ricky Fowler differently. Obviously, not at the level of Reed because he's got a major, but I think they're a player. Winning a player's championship just separates you. Got to. I think now that we're in the FedEx Cup era too, Jason, it maybe has taken down the players a little bit because it's a whole new kind of era and excitement in golf that is at the end of the year. I don't know. Yeah, I I do agree with that. I look, I I think in both respects, uh, Vander Shoffley won the Tour Championship last year. I still think he's completely underrated. Nobody ever talks about the guy. Um, if that was Jordan Spieth of the same age winning a tour championship, we'd all be uh, jumping on the bandwagon, yet he doesn't get looked at in that way. Siwoo Kim won it, uh, what was he, 21 years old? We won last year. For whatever yep. reason, if Siwoo Kim won a major at 21, we'd all be naming him as uh, one of these best young players in the game, and yet he never gets mentioned for whatever reason. Maybe it's more personality-driven than terrific yeah. young player, and the fact that he won such a big tournament at such a young age uh, should value him higher, and it just, for whatever reason, doesn't. And uh, and the other thing I'll, I'll put out there about the Players' Championship is the fact that it doesn't have this winner's list. Yes, Tigers won it twice, and Phyllis won it, and Ricky won it, but you look at the winner's list over the years, and it, it is not a Masters-type winner list, winner's list. not even a U.S. Open Winners list. What the, got the Craig Perks and the Jody Muds what, and the wait, Stephen wait. Ames on there. But you've got seven of the last ten victories are major winners. I mean, Steve Jones won the U.S. Open. I mean, there's going to be guys. That, you know, I don't know. I think I'm on the outs I, here. <laughs> he's triggered. Serm's triggered. I mean, yeah. I mean, we got it's. I mean, look at seven of the ten, last ten winners are major champs. I mean, okay. it's. I, I don't know. <laughs> We're gonna we can debate this all day. By too much into the marketing, Matt. Too much marketing. <laughs> Why don't we jump yeah. into your players' picks? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not quite there yet, and where I want to go. Uh, Dustin Johnson is uh, at least on the short list of guys that I really like. I think Henrik Stenson uh, plays well. He's able to keep a three wood in play. He's he's played really well there. I'm gonna look uh, at guys who have played well since they've made the move from March to May. What's been six, seven years, something like that? Right now, eight yep. years, whatever it is. Uh, I'm going to look at the guys that have played better on that golf course since it's moved to later in the schedule and plays faster and firmer and, uh, and it's hotter out and it's not as much wind. So uh, it obviously plays with a different golf course two months later. So uh, Dustin Johnson, Henrik Stenson, uh, Sergio Garcia always plays well here. I think Sergio will have a nice little week. Um, But other than that, I honestly haven't crunched the numbers yet to uh, quite figure out who uh, I like the best right now. Have you played Sawgrass or how many years have you been out there covering it? Just kind of tell us what it's I, like. Well, I've covered it, boy. I've been covering this one. I'm not sure I've missed one in the last 15, maybe 15 or 16 in a row. Um, as far as playing, I played for the first time 
last year, and it is actually more difficult than it looks when you're just watching these guys play it, which I guess you could probably say about most courses. But I found it uh, really, really challenging. The fairways are so firm that uh, if you hit it sort of through a fairway, um, you play a draw, hit it down the left side of the fairway, and all of a sudden it kicks into this rough or kicks into a bunker. But it, it's just really, really difficult. You find yourself in a lot of trouble out there. Um, so I, I think that it's why ball strikers tend to uh, play better. The guys that can um, sort of play a little target golf out there, uh, I think, tend to fare well and fare better than – uh, other players. So that's that's one thing I'm looking at is sort of recent ball striking numbers. I'm going to look at guys who uh, sure. over the past month, month and a half have, uh, have found a lot of greens in regulation. The proximity of the pin is, is less than other players. I think those are kind of the guys you want to start with at least looking at to uh, who can contend this week. But 17 and 18, does it get any more daunting of a finish? Maybe on the tour. Yeah, no, and 17 should be like an easy wedge or nine iron, depending on what you're playing in this yardage that day. And it's just not because you're thinking about everything. And, you know, of course, your buddies that you're going to play with, if you're just out there for a casual round, are going to say, okay, I got to take a video out. Because what if, you know, the one in a million shot, uh, I had a friend who went out there with a friend of his a few years ago. And, of course, I get to 17. Let me, let me you know, take out the phone. I'll take a video of you hitting on 17. We'll laugh about it when you check. Uh, chunk one into the water and said the guy hit a hole in one. He's got forever on video him making a hole in one on number 17. So uh, of course you're, you're taking pictures, you're getting the video out all of a sudden, like it becomes a little bigger than it needs to be. And it's 140 yard shot onto a big green. And you're saying, well, I just got to hit the ball. And so uh, it, it becomes a little more intimidating. We hear it every year from the players. I mean, we always hear them say, uh, you know, and these little TV pieces they do, the little vignettes. Uh, yeah, boy, I, I think about 17 all day. I, I don't know if I necessarily buy that. I think that uh, for a lot of these guys, they've sort of, unless they absolutely, you know, you're two shots down with two to play and, and you absolutely need a birdie. I think a lot of guys are employing the Phil Mickelson method, which Phil, the ultimate gambler in golf, the, the guy who uh, wants to go out there and take chances and play aggressively, decided years ago he's going to hit to the middle of the 17th green every single time and two bucks from there and just walk off with a par. And that's exactly what he does. And I think a lot of other guys have, have said, look, I'm just not going to shoot myself out of the golf tournament here. Let me put it in the middle of the green and, and go try to uh, try to lag a putt down there and tap in my par. So, Jason, you said now at Action Network you're looking at a lot of stats and figuring out who we like, right, who to pick. We're going to get you out of here on this. For the rest of the season – I was doing a little bit of digging as well, and I, I found some stats that I wanted to get your take on and see if it sways kind of who you like for the rest of the season. So when I was looking at some stats, okay. obviously strokes gained is a good one to look at because um, it looks at it relative to the field. I looked at Jordan Spieth, and I noticed his name popping up. Okay, strokes gained, T to green. Spieth is number two on tour this year. DJ is actually number one. Mm-hmm. Scrambling, Spieth is number one. And greens and regulation percentage, Spieth is number three. And I feel like besides the Masters, we felt like Spieth hasn't really had a good year. But actually, statistically, he has. And DJ actually has the best scoring average right now. So if to me, Spieth and DJ, if we're looking to round this year into one of the best ever, those are two guys that could get hot towards the end of the year in my mind. Who, who are some guys you're looking at 
uh, to close out the year, the rest of the year, with some wins and some good finishes? Uh, Spieth is absolutely on top of that list for me. Uh, I spoke with him, I believe, at Riviera um, a few months ago, and um, I was kind of I was asking the question sort of in a joking way. I said, you know, you always talk about trying to peak four times a year, and this isn't one of those four times, and you're not peaking, and yet people are criticizing you for struggling. And, you know, he kind of laughed a little bit. He, he, yeah, you know, I just – it's like other years I've gotten off to really quick starts – and then just sort of felt burnt out by late summer. And he said, I'm really trying hard to sort of ease my way into the year and, and, and be able to peak for those times. And uh, I think that's the result of, of what we've seen from Jordan, which is he's played really well and yet hasn't quite had those finishes that we would have come to expect from him. Uh, but I think it's coming. I, I think that at some point you're a world-class golfer with uh, as much talent as anybody and your stats are up there. At some point, the numbers are going to even out, and you're you're going to start winning golf tournaments. So uh, he's on top of the list for me. I mentioned Hideki Matsuyama earlier. He's dealt with some injuries. As long as he's healthy, I, I don't see him as a guy who goes all year without winning golf tournaments and contending for a few more. I'm sure his stats aren't great right now, but uh, at some point, talent prevails. At some point, uh, things just sort of even out. Uh, again, uh, I've mentioned it 10 times already, but the cyclical nature of golf, which is, uh, if you're good enough, you're going to wind up on top. And uh, Evan, it, it always floors me the fact that I don't know that you can actually bet on this kind of stuff. I guess you can bet on everything, so I'm sure you can. But uh, if there was a way you could have bet before the season on the winner in strokes gained tee to green, and you might look at it and say, you know what, I'm going I'm to go with a long shot here. I'm going to go with a guy that, you know, he's a pretty good player. I'm going to go with Charlie Hoffman, a pretty good player, but guy who's not necessarily, you know, uh, at the top of the list. I'm going to win some money if I bet on this. You are never going to win money betting on things like lowest scoring average, strokes gained, tee degree, and even the all-around ranking, which compiles a bunch of different categories and puts them together. At the end of the year, what it is is basically just a compilation of the best golfers in the world. And it always amazes me to look back on them year after year, and there's almost never a surprise in any of those big numbers, which, um, which sort of tell the story of just how good these players are. Absolutely. Another, you know, another quick stat there with Stenson and you picked Stenson as the guy to win this week. He's number one in green and regulation percentage from the rough. Um, and he's like also number one in driving accuracy. Granted, he's only played in like five tournaments, but he's playing awesome. And you talked about his three wood. I mean, I think he's he's kind of doing it all tee to green. He's, he's putting pretty well, too. It's a matter of time. Yeah. Again, another guy who. Uh, when you look at the numbers and you say, boy, he's doing everything well, and yet it hasn't all come together for him, it, it's just a matter of time. I mean, at some point, uh, you keep playing well, you keep playing well, you keep playing well, and, and, and at some point, you break through. And, you know, I, uh, sometimes, and, and I know that the general public and, and the guys that look at stats aren't going to necessarily like this, but at some point, it just becomes about getting a few lucky breaks your way. It just comes with getting lucky bounces. I remember years ago, and I, I will always remember this because I think it tells a pretty good story that uh, Mark Wilson, who's sort of uh, kind of an obscure PGA Tour player, but had some Chicago guy in the day. Yeah, exactly. And, and one of the nicest guys out there. And Mark had won uh, the old Bob Hope out, out in Palm Springs. I believe he won in Phoenix. Uh, beating Jason Duffner in a playoff on a Monday, if I'm recalling right. This he may have won the Honda, nine, too. Ten years maybe? ago. Yeah. He did win the Honda one year, but these these were two events. He won two and three starts. 
And so the yep. middle event, I believe it was like a T56 or something like that at maybe Pebble or LA. And so I interviewed him and I said, kind of jokingly, uh, what went wrong for you that one week in between? And he goes, you know what? He said, honestly, nothing. He said, I didn't hit the ball any worse. I didn't putt any worse. I had a couple bad breaks. I had a bunch of putts that sort of hit the hole and didn't go in, but he didn't play any worse. And he, he said that was really weird to him, the fact that he won twice, but it wasn't like he played so much better in those weeks. And uh, I think the variance is just so small uh, on those weeks that if you're playing well, uh, at some point you're going to come through and you're going to win, even if it's not necessarily doing anything different. I, I don't know that a guy like Jordan Spieth or Henrik Stenson needs to play better than they've been playing. I think they can just go out there and keep playing the way they have been playing over the first four months of the year. And at some point that's going to mean success for them. Well, Jason, thanks so much for coming on. We hope you have a great week at the players. Hopefully we'll see you out at, uh, I'm probably coming home for the PGA at Belle Reve, my hometown in St. Louis. So who knows? Mm. You might get a home cooked meal at the singer household. You just let us know. Maybe we'll wow. uh, run into each Love other it. there. Um, but yeah, soup. have a great week. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, Jason. You got it. Thanks, guys, for having me. Uh, you know, I'm excited to join the uh, three-timers club and at least be in there <laughs> drinking alone with those free drinks club. by myself until uh, someone else joins the club. But uh, thanks for having me. Very late. All right, uh, take thanks, care. Jason. Have a good week.